Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Tonight, we are going to um, start something, uh, a new study. Um, and I'm excited about this. I've been praying about this for a little while, um, even when we were going through um, the love rules. Uh, felt like the Lord was putting this on my heart, and uh, I'm excited to do this. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them over to 1 Thessalonians, and then you can put a marker there. You can turn over to Acts chapter 17. And uh, just kind of give you a little background before we get into the message. Um, this first letter that was written to the uh, Thessalonians uh, was done probably from Corinth. That's what many people believe uh, where Paul wrote this letter from on his second missionary journey. Um, again, it's, it's important to understand some of the context behind this because when uh, we read and we go through and we study this letter that he wrote to them, uh, hopefully it'll make a little more uh, sense and some of the things they were, they were going through. But Timothy and Silas come to him, and they end up going to Athens and then Corinth, and they bring word from uh, Thessalonica what was going on. He wanted to know what was going on. He gave, uh, they gave him a report and probably uh, gave him a list of some questions that the new believers there in Thessalonica had. Um, some of you are familiar with what is known or what we know as the Macedonian call. And that is a part of the journey that Paul had uh, on that second missionary journey was to Thessalonica, among other places. But uh, this group <clears throat> was, uh, their, their faith was born in great adversity, uh, in, in a great, in, very interesting situation because uh, he had a good encounter in Thessalonica in some regards, and he had a very bad encounter uh, in, in others. So... <clears throat> You understand kind of where he was, you know, when he wrote it, why he wrote it. Uh, the city itself was uh, both a port city and it was also a city that lied along the Ignatian Way, which was the major Roman uh, road in the time that a lot of commerce and everybody traveled uh, throughout the kingdom in that area. And so Thessalonica was increased with riches. They had prominent people there. They had governors there. They had... Um, a lot of things, a lot of stuff, a lot of idolatry, uh, a lot of religion in, in this city. And so again, when we see these, these people come to faith and we see what they were facing even after they came to faith, uh, it'll hopefully encourage us. And so you see the title of this study, I Encourage You. There's a little play on words there. Uh, encourage You, like in university, and then also Encourage You. Ha, ha, ha. Um, but this is... Um, Hopefully going to do that. Hopefully it'll teach us some things like we're going to uh, an, an institute or a university, uh, but also uh, actually encourage us along the way. So I want to pray and I want to look at this letter. We'll get the context. Uh, that way you kind of see exactly what they were facing whenever he uh, goes there and then we'll get into the letter. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for what we've already experienced, the songs, the giving. Uh, the time together of fellowship. Lord, we're excited now to get into this new study. Uh, Lord, we know that in, in our encouragement, there is also a lot of challenge. There's uh, even conviction that happens when we're encouraged in your word. And so, um, Lord, you know my desire, my prayer has been that through this, uh, we would be lifted up. We'd be edified. We'd be encouraged. 
uh, and, and whatever it takes to, to get there, whether we have to be convicted or challenged um, or, or, or what have you, Lord, just have your way, and we'll praise you for all this, Lord. Um, again, we thank you for this time, and we ask you to just use me now as a vessel to, to speak your word and the message that you have for us, and we'll praise you for that, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you had your, your finger there in, in 1 Thessalonians, turned over to Acts chapter 17. We're just going to read this, and I'll stop along the way a little bit and talk about it um, here and there, but let's just kind of read it. We'll look at, again, this is the second missionary journey that Paul's making, and he is part of the Macedonian call. Chapter 16, if you want to know what that's about, you can turn over to chapter 16 and find out about the Macedonian call. Paul intended to continue on, uh, but the Spirit said, nope, don't go there. I want you to go to Macedonia. There was a man uh, again. So that's in chapter 16. So it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went into them, unto them, and three Sabbath, day, Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Now, this is something that some people, there's a debate over how long Paul stayed in Thessalonica. Um, some people believe that Paul stayed there for three weeks or a month because he reasoned them for three Sabbath days, it says. Um, but most conservative uh, theologians will hold to the fact that he probably was there closer to six months uh, because of some of the events that had to take pay, uh, place as far as traveling goes um, and some of the other things. And so uh, he was there reasoning with them to the Jew first as, as Paul's uh, commission was. And then also to the Greek. And so for, we know for three days, uh, three Sabbath days in a row, he's there in the synagogue, reasoning with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered, or the Messiah must needs have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And so again, Christ means Messiah, it means anointed one. And he's saying to the Jews, you know what the Old Testament says, you know what the Scripture says, that there is a Messiah, that the Messiah must die, that the Messiah must rise again. And I'm preaching to you that that Messiah is Jesus Christ. And uh, so again, telling the Jews this important gospel message, and look what happens. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And so again, there were some pr prominent women there in Thessalonica that came to faith, uh, whether they were wives of prominent men or, or whatever, prominent themselves, uh, a great group of them came to the Lord uh, there as well. But the Jews, which believed not, look at this, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all, all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Now this, it may sound a little bit familiar to you, it may not sound familiar to you, but... Uh, if it does, it's because that's exactly what happened with Jesus, right? They gathered a group of people to try to rise up against him and accuse him falsely. It also happened to Stephen uh, in Acts chapter 6. And so we know uh, that this is kind of what the Jews like to do. They like to find people who will make up lies and, and stir up a problem about somebody just to get rid of them, just to silence them. Um, sadly, that happens today, not just with Jews, but it also even happens in the church. But um, this is what uh, was going on with these people, and specifically uh, Paul and his team. So they, they sought to bring these, this apostolic missionary team uh, out, and in verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, 
These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. And you've heard that before. We've shared that before. It's been preached before. Uh, that's the kind of faith that we need to have today. Uh, the, the kind of testimony, the mark that we should be making on our community. That people are wondering, hey, what is going on with those people? They're turning the world upside down. Um, and I, that's what my prayer, that's what I, I pray all of our prayer is, is that that's the testimony we have for Jesus Christ. Is that we're turning our world upside down for him. Uh, and so that's what, the, that's what they were accused of. They were turning the world upside down. And they've come to this city. Uh, and you say, why, why was this such a big deal? Well, they had freedom in Thessalonica. It was a Roman province, uh, province I'm sorry, of Macedonia. Uh, initially split into four quadrants. Uh, but probably at this point in time, Thessalonica uh, with Philippi and other places. But Thessalonica, pr uh, predominant, if not the capital city at the time. Um, was loving life. They, they had everything they wanted. They could do whatever they wanted. They were prosperous. Again, they were free. The Roman government, similar in Jerusalem, as long as there's not a problem, there's not going to be a stir. We don't have to worry about it. But now there's a problem, and they not only are convicted in their, in their spirit, but they're also thinking, hey, this is going to cause a problem with our, with our lives. It's gonna, these people are turning the world upside down. It's going to cause a stir. The Roman government's not going to be happy. They're going to come in and shut down our freedom. And so, again, they, they didn't want this to continue on. They take them before the leaders of the city. And it says this, Whom Jason has received, we know that he had them in his house. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And then when they had taken security of Jason and of the other they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night to Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Again, same exact thing along his journeys. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were of Greeks and of men, not a few. Again, another great move of God uh, in the city of Berea. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. <laughs> Think about this. Um, this. Again, this has happened all through the church age, just you know, the, the enemy looking to cause a problem. But Paul and his, and his team, they kind of move on from Thessalonica because those people want them gone. They don't like them. They, they're, they're angry. So they go to Berea, which I think is something like 40 kilometers away uh, from there. And... Um, they get word back in Thessalonica. So here is uh, this, this whole idea of uh, how long it takes. Um, but so they get word that they're preaching the word of God in Berea. They go to Berea. Hey, no, we're going to stop this group. We're gonna, we're, we're, we are going to, to, to silence them. So they go to Berea. Uh, they they, they want to stop them. And uh, they stirred up the people. And immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, the, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. They that conducted Paul brought him into Athens and received a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for, for to come to him with all speed they departed. So again, he leaves uh, uh, Silas and Timotheus there at Berea. He goes away, goes to Athens, but then he sends for them and says, hey, I need you here. The journey continues on. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Now I'm not going to read all what happens in Athens, but again, Athens was a very uh, vile city. Uh, there was, a, uh, just as I said, uh, Mars Hills there, the, 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 the sermon there. 
Again, all of those things happen there. But if we skip down um, to chapter 33, I mean, to, chapter, to verse 33, uh, it says, So Paul departed uh, from among them, howbeit certain men claimed to him and believed among them, which Dionysus, uh, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, uh, and others with them. And after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So again, this is where it's believed that Paul writes, sits down and writes this letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, the, uh, Timothy and Silas had stayed behind. Uh, they had heard everything. They had dealt with everything uh, there in Berea. And they catch up with him in Athens. They kind of report what's going on. They finally get out of that situation in Athens, get to, uh, get to Corinth. And again, Paul sits down and on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and begins to pen 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you flip over there. And so it says, Paul and Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an important uh, salutation for Paul to give to these believers because they were under great persecution. Just as you saw before even uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy could get very far from Thessalonica, um, they were bringing Jason out of it. They were yanking him out of his house and demanding where the apostles were. And so again, the Christians there in, in, in Thessalonica were uh, birthed under great persecution, great adversity in their faith. And so he's telling, hey, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. And look what he says in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The first point that we can see tonight that was um, to, meant to be an encouragement to those Thessalonians uh, at that point in time, which is still a th uh, an encouragement to us, a reality to us, is this. Know your leaders are praying for you. Know your leaders are praying for you. And, you know... We, we don't really know what persecution looks like in our culture right now. Uh, we, we see glimpses in, in some, maybe you've experienced, some of you have experienced a little more than, uh, than the rest. But we don't really know what it is to be persecuted for our faith, to, to wonder if somebody's going to storm our house and drag us out of our house. Um, we don't really know that, but we still have brothers and sisters around the world that do know that. These Thessalonians 2,000 years ago knew that. And so to hear from the person that had brought them the gospel, that was preaching Jesus to them, that had taught them his ways and taught, how to follow, taught them how to follow Jesus Christ, for him to, to care enough to write back to them and say, I want you to know that we're praying for you. We're, without ceasing, we're praying for you. And again, as a means of encouragement to you, at this point, when I'm about to say this, it may not mean as much to you as maybe it should um, and I'm, that's not an indictment against you, but um, you should be very encouraged knowing that I, myself, the elders, uh, other leaders are praying for you. Um, and you say, well, why, is it, why should it uh, mean so much? I've said this before. One of the greatest things that you and I can do is to take each other before the throne of Almighty God Amen. and say, God, here they are. Help them where they're at. Strengthen them in their weakness. Minister to them in their hurts. Encourage them in their discouragement. 
wherever, whatever they're going through. And, and we, I may not know specifics about what you're going through that day. I may know certain things about your life that I, I, I am praying for. Um, but know that I'm praying for you. I'm taking you before the throne of Almighty God. God sets up authority, and there's nothing about me. There's nothing about the other elders. Uh, there's nothing about um, any pastor in, in the fact that he's a man uh, other than the fact that God set up the church and God sets up authority. And so, again, Paul had been called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. He had to defend this apostleship many times because his apostleship, his calling to be an apostle, was many times brought under accusation, was brought uh, under scrutiny. And that's why if you read through the epistles, sometimes he says, Paul called an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, because again, it was under attack. He was making sure they understood, look, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. There's no question about it. But he puts leaders in place because that's his design. And those leaders can be faithful. And those leaders can be unfaithful. But when you have a leader like the apostle Paul saying, listen, I'm praying for you. Without ceasing, I'm, I'm, I'm making mention of you to God every day. That was a blessing and encouragement to those Thessalonian believers. And so it should be today when the, those who God puts in authority say, you know what, we're, we're caring enough to pray for you. Uh, again, not that our prayers are any more important or that, that we can get closer to God with our prayers, but the simple fact that God has set things up and that myself or other leaders don't think you know i'm i'm above that I, I don't need to pray for them they can pray for themselves unfortunately there's people that have those that have that mindset the apostle paul again looking to minister looking to encourage them uh, said this and and i pray that it's an encouragement to you as well you know when you know that a leader has a love and a care enough to bring you before almighty god of creation uh, it should encourage you. And so again, Paul was encouraging these new believers. They were kind of uh, struggling. We'll see some of that uh, a little bit uh, in just a little bit down the road. <laughs> uh, but they were struggling with several different things. They were struggling about what they were going through, why they were going through it. Um, they were thinking about the day of the Lord. There were several different things that the, the Thessalonians were struggling with. And the very first thing Paul mentions to them is, we're praying for you. No, we're praying for you. Always we're praying for you. We understand what you're going through. We understand that it's real. We understand the emotions, the struggle, the trials. All those things are real. We're going through them too. We're people too. But we're praying for you. And again, the Apostle Paul lays it out in, in 2 Corinthians everything that they would go through but the thessalonians knew some of the things that they were going through they were they were acquainted with paul's struggles they were acquainted with with, with the the persecution again they had to sneak him out um, and and so are you it's you know me and my family we face struggles and trials and attacks other elders and their families they face struggles trials and attacks the deacons and their families face struggles trials and attacks and so we know what it, what it goes through. And sometimes there may be um, a, a, a thought that, uh, well, it doesn't seem like anything is going wrong. Uh, that, that's not the case. Uh, we're real people, too. We have real emotions. There's real struggles. There's real things going on there. Um, and so I, I, we understand. It may not be exactly the same exact trial or exact same trouble or trial, uh, uh, 
you know, valley you're going through, but we know enough to say, you know what, God, I know they're going through something, and I'm asking you to help them with it. If I can do something, help me, show me. Um, But other than that, Lord, bring them before your throne. And again, Paul was doing this, and I believe every leader should do that uh, for those that the Lord has put to their trust. But I want you to notice back in those verses what Paul remembered in their prayers for the Thessalonians. In light of the persecution, in light of the struggle, in light of all the affliction they had gone through, in light of all the questions they had, the Thessalonians were they had gone through the ringer as new believers. And so the apostle Paul tells them, "Listen, I'm praying to you every I'm praying to God for you every single day, and we're making mention of you in our prayers." And, and what's coming to our, our memory and what's coming to our thoughts and our prayers is what you're doing through all these struggles, how you're behaving through all these struggles, how you're behaving through the attacks, through the adversity, through the, through the affliction. This is what comes to our mind, and this is what we're thanking God for uh, that, that you're doing. If you, if you look in there, he said, for their labor, uh, I'm sorry, for their work of faith, for their labor of love, and for their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, they could have given up. They could have said, look, we just, got, we just gave our life to Christ. And now people are talking about putting us in jail, closing down our businesses, um, even killing us. If we, if we don't stop telling people about Jesus, our, our lives look like they could be ruined. Uh, what, they, I don't want to do this anymore. They could have done that. But they didn't. The report that Tim, uh, Timothy and Silas brought back to them that, look, in spite of all the questions they have, in spite of all the struggles they're going through, in, stri- in spite of all the, the uh, everything, the junk, the affliction, all that stuff, in spite of all that, the Thessalonian believers are still working. Thessalonian believers are beyond working. They're laboring. And they're being steadfast in their hope in Jesus Christ, their confidence in Jesus Christ. What a great testimony they have. And so an encouragement in, in by way of, of, of challenge or, or uh, um, whatever uh, is number two. And it's this. Strive to have a life defined by faith, hope, and love. And the reason I gave the sources is because when we understand the sources, then the products make a little more sense. I want you to look at those words, though. Th- these, these words, faith, hope, and love for the Thessalonian believers to Paul the Apostle and his missionary team, they weren't just some uh, theological ideology. It wasn't some religious rhetoric. It, it, it wasn't just words to them. Uh, Paul the Apostle got the testimony back from them that this is what was driving these, these new believers. Regardless of their circumstances, they were driven by their faith. They were driven by their love. And they were driven by their hope, their confidence in Jesus Christ. So they were working because of their faith. They were laboring. And if you look at the word labor in the Greek, it means this, toiling to the point of exhaustion. They were toiling for the cause of Christ to the point of exhaustion because they loved. That's what he said, labor of love. And they were steadfast in the gospel mission the purpose, the way they got saved, the way that Paul came and delivered them the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, they turned around and began to share that with other people, and it caused affliction, it caused persecution on their life, but they remained steadfast in their hope, their confidence in Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to let our lives be defined by faith, hope, and love. And if we do, if that's what's driving us on the inside, if that's what's causing us every day to get up and say, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, I'm going to shine the light, I'm going to share the gospel because I'm living on mission. That's the only reason I'm on this earth still. I'm going to do that because I I, I love him. I'm going to do that because I trust him. I'm going to do that because I have confident, a confident expectation in him that he's, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to come back and get me. And so I'm driven by those things. And I believe if we're driven by those things, if that's what defines our life, then the product will be exactly the same as it was for the Thessalonian believers. The product, what is the product? The product was work, labor, and steadfastness. All for the gospel mission. All for the, the kingdom of God. That's, that's what their lives look like as new believers. And, and many of us can attest. I mean, we've got some new believers in here today. And they're excited to share Jesus Christ with other people. They're passionate about it. I had a discussion with one of them, uh, I think this past Sunday or Sunday evening. I was talking to him and he was talking about he was, he was sharing his faith um, at, a, at a public place. And he ran into a, a very difficult circumstance um in the conversation and he said i didn't even know how to address that i didn't even know what to say but i was just trying to tell him about jesus and i said amen brother just keep doing that just keep telling him about Jesus. keep sharing the gospel but what happens to us as christians veteran christians that along the way somewhere we we lose that fervency that passion that zeal that excitement to tell others what happened to us and how it can happen to them what happened to us Some people still have it. Look around the room. There's a lot of people still engaged and involved in in sharing their faith at their job, at other places. I hear testimonies about it. We see a a good group of people show up on Thursday nights who can make it then. Um, So, uh, again, my my question is this. If if the source in our life that drives us is is our faith, the the, the love that we have, and, and our confident expectation, our hope, then why aren't we seeing the products for the kingdom of God? See, Scripture supports this case. Scripture, it's not just those three things that we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, but Scripture supports that case, that faith produces works, that love leads us to labor, and that steadfastness of hope can only be done because of Jesus Christ, being, remaining steadfast in that. James chapter 2, verse 27, verse 17 talks about it too, that faith produces works, but 26 says this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Again, back in verse 17, it says that faith produces works. So we know that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, if we know that we're saved, if we have no other trust, no other reliance for our salvation, there's no other Savior in our life, there's no other Lord in our life, then we know that faith produces works. What are works? Works are obedience, obedient acts to God's Word. That's what they are. Good works are. And so when we have faith in Jesus Christ, our life is to be lived out in obedience to the things that God has commanded us. And so again, if we look at why we're still here, we're not here to uh, sacrifice lambs and, and bulls. We're not here to, because there was a lamb that was slain for us once and for all, as Hebrews says. And so we don't have to go through those ceremonies. We don't have to go through the, the various ceremonies. Why are we, as the people of God, still on this earth? Well, Jesus gave a very clear answer. 
He said, even so, send I you. I came into this world to, to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we're here on mission as the people of God, period. Whatever else we make of our lives is extra. But we're here on mission for the kingdom of God. And so that kind of goes into the second thing, the laboring because of love or the labor of love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's telling the Corinthians, he had just gotten in saying in chapter 4, uh, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the, the, the glory may be of God. Uh, he, he talked about how uh, the, the, the afflictions that we face in this life in verse 17 and 18 is, are light afflictions com compared to the exceeding weight of glory that we're going to receive one day. Uh, he, he said all those things, and in chapter 5, he begins to go in and says, listen, we, we've got this earthly tabernacle. I can't wait for this earthly tabernacle to go, be clothed upon the earth, uh, heavenly tabernacle. He goes on and on and on in that chapter. Look what he says in verse 9. We labor, wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Whether we're in his presence or here, we may be accepted of him. Look what he says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, good works or, or bad works. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So knowing... A, a, a healthy fear of God, we persuade men. We, we, we try to convince men. But we're made manifest to God, and I trust also made manifest in your conscience. Again, Paul's defending their sincerity all the time, especially the Corinthians. For we commend not ourselves to you again, but give you occasion of glory on our behalf that, we may ha that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance, not in heart. Look what he says in verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it's to God. Look, if we're out of our mind, God knows, he says. And whether we be sober in our right mind, it's for your cause. You, you know this is why we do this. And look what he says. For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ compels us. He says whether people think we're crazy, he said, you know for yourselves, we were with you a long time. We, you, you saw how real we were. You saw you, our, our conscience. Uh, you, you saw all those things. We're not crazy. We're not out of our mind. We're real people. He says, but I want to tell you this. What's driving us, what's causing us to labor, what's causing us to continue on, whether we're absent or present, what's driving us in our life is this, the love of Christ. It's compelling us. It's driving us every day because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth from that time live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, that's what, that's what was driving the Apostle Paul and his team, and that's what should be driving us in our lives today as Christians. In 2017, what should be driving us should be the constraint and the compelling love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. The same exact thing that Paul came to and says, listen, because we, we reason, we, we've come to this decision, we've come to this judgment that if Jesus Christ died, for one, he died for all. And if, and, if, and if he died for all, then every single person is dead in trespasses and sins. Every single person is on their way to a judgment of an eternal fire. And the fact that he died for all, and we're among those that gave our lives to him, 
Here's the reality. We shouldn't, once we enter into that relationship, once we leave death and enter into life, we have no more claim to our life. We shouldn't live for ourselves from that time forward. We shouldn't live for ourselves but unto him who died for us and rose again. What a beautiful statement of them. And again, this was what was driving the Apostle Paul. This was what was also driving the Thessalonian believers. They were constrained by love. And that, that constraining compelled them to labor to the point of exhaustion for the kingdom of God, no matter what it cost them, because I believe they had the same mindset that once they were saved, they were no longer theirs because Jesus died for them for their sins to give them life. Therefore, their life was no longer theirs, but his to live for him. That's where every single one of us should be today. Why am I laboring? Why, why do I sometimes feel so tired? And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about just rhetorically. Why, why uh, you know, I'm three times a week, and we're here on Thursday night, and, 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 man, I'm trying to do everything I can on Monday, Tuesday, and Friday, and Saturday as well, trying to share the gospel and try to live for Christ. And, and I'm telling you what, Brother Kyle, sometimes I just feel tired. Amen. Amen. It's like a sports team. You know, I'm coaching Avery's volleyball team, and I said this a couple times to him. Uh, but, but I said, hey, you've got to give it all. You, you can't go back and play that game again. And the same thing, that's what I, when I was in sports, that's what our coaches told us. Listen, leave it all out on the field. Don't, don't, don't leave anything. Give it your all. Because when you walk off that field, you've got to look at that man in the mirror and, 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 and be honest with yourself and say, I gave my all or I could have given more. And I want to tell you this, what Paul just told them in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 10, when he said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things which he had done, whether they be good or bad. That right there is the greatest account. Standing and facing ourselves in a mirror after a sports game, that's, that, that, that's tough. That can be tough. There were times that I looked at myself, there's times I watched film the next day and said, What am I doing? Why was I loafing like that? Well, I could have hit that guy. You know, why, why, did, you know, why did this, I could have given more. I couldn't go back and play that game. I couldn't go back and redo it. It was done. But to give an account before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to one day stand there and say, boy, if I could go back and do it again, I would give a lot more for Jesus Christ and his kingdom now. We're not going to be able to say that either. It's going to be over. So that's, again, the Apostle Paul got it. We have one life to live. When we are given life by Jesus Christ, it's no longer ours. So our only choice is to leave it all out on the field for him. Our only choice is to labor to the point of exhaustion for his kingdom. Well, I remember when I used to come in from uh, practices and two-a-days and even uh, tournaments, baseball and basketball, all di different sports. And, and, and when I had given it my all, sometimes I would just sit in front of my locker and just be like, Ugh. I mean, just poured out. Didn't even, I mean, I didn't want to go to take a shower. I, I mean, I just wanted to sit there. I wanted to go to sleep. I was exhausted. And that was for a game. We were to be laboring to the point of exhaustion for the king, for his mission, not a game, for eternal souls that will never have a chance again. We were to be laboring for that cause. And how easy do we have, have it right now to labor for that cause? The Thessalonian believers were doing it 
under great affliction, under great persecution. The Thessalonian believers were, were laboring to the point of exhaustion when it wasn't easy to practice their faith. And here we are. It is so easy to practice our faith. But why are we laboring to the point of exhaustion? Why are sometimes we looking for a reason not to labor? Why are we looking for ways in our, in our Christian walk for it to be easier to worship our King, to serve our King? Why do we do that? Maybe because we don't face affliction. Maybe because we don't face persecution. And I believe that. I believe that we, in America especially, have become very spoiled Christians. It's not really a need to labor. People can pull up a YouTube anyways, hear the gospel. No. And then this, the third point, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how this is an encouragement, how, why this is important to be, uh, to, to get in this is chapter 15, uh, some of you may know this, but chapter 15 in the first few verses is the gospel summary. So if you want to say, hey, if somebody asks me what the gospel is, what verses can I turn to and just show them? This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses there. I think it's maybe four, four verses. Um, but that t talks about that. And then it goes on and talks about the resurrection uh, and how we have part in the resurrection. All of this encouragement, all, all this encouragement, all this hope, all of this, this confident expectation of things to come, all because of what Jesus Christ did in his resurrection. And so look how, look how Paul wraps up that chapter in chapter 15 after saying, look, we've got eternal hope. We're a part of the resurrection because Jesus rose again. Uh, this is why we're laboring. So, so, so he encourages, encourages them and leaves that chapter by saying this in verse 58. This is my life verse. I love this verse. He says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Why I say therefore? In light of all the things that I just wrote. In light of all the things the Holy Spirit just gave to me about the resurrection, about our hope, about Jesus Christ, about all those things. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not in your own work, not in the world's work. Always abounding. That means increasing increasing not saying look i think i'm doing enough no we can never do it if you think that you're doing enough that's what, again my coach used to tell me that hey, how you feel i feel all right then you're not giving enough <laughs> you start learning don't tell them that you're all right but god knows our hearts as christians laboring so we we can't say i think i'm doing enough for the king I think I'm doing enough for the kingdom of God. I think I'm doing enough in my labor for the master. I think I'm doing enough. Again, Paul's charge to these Corinthians, a lot of the hope, the confident expectation, his, his charge to them was to be steadfast, unmovable, and always increasing in the work of the Lord. Why? 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 Because he explains, you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything you do for God with the right motive Everything you lay out on the line, everything that you labor to the point of exhaustion, every work that you do for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, everything you do with the right motive, all of those things, they're not in vain. He said, look, I, I like to see results. Uh, again, we were talking, uh, I was talking to a, another brother right before service. He said, hey, I got a chance to witness somebody tonight. Didn't make a profession of faith, but I think I'm going to go back. I said, I would go back if you feel like you need to go back. That's, that's a, a, a great opportunity when someone is receptive to the gospel. They may not make a decision. Look, the, we're, not, we're not called to have, make people make decisions. We're called to give the gospel. We're called to be ambassadors for his kingdom. We're called uh, to, to go out to the world and tell people. 
Jesus does the saving. Paul explained that. He said, I, I water Apollos, I mean, uh, however it goes. He said, he said I, I, I sowed, Apollos watered, or Apollos sowed, I watered, uh, but God gives the increase. It was about Jesus Christ. It's, but we're, we're, the part that we play is being faithful and laboring and steadfast in that work. Not giving up. Not saying, well, I'm not seeing enough people get saved. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really see a lot of the fruit coming from what, I'm, you know, what you're saying we're supposed to be doing. That's not our job. When we stand before the Lord, he did not say anything. That, that back in uh, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 10, where it says that we're going to receive the things whether they be uh, good or bad, can be judged for those things whether they be good or bad, it doesn't even talk about fruit. It's not talking about fruit. It's not talking about the results of our labor. He says good or bad. He's talking about the motive of our work, of our labor. That's how we're going to be judged. And I think it's awesome that, you know, I'm not trying to knock Billy Graham, but I was reading an article about him this week, and uh, it said there's no other American evangelist, there's no other evangelist that they know uh, has ever stood before more people to preach the gospel than Billy Graham. Millions upon millions of people. And among those millions of people, there have been thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe over millions uh, maybe over a million of professions of faith. I promise you this. If you're going to your job every single day and you're living your life every single day working, laboring, and being steadfast, Billy Graham's not going to receive more reward because he had more souls converted. He's going to be judged for how he worked, how he labored, and how he was steadfast. And what God gave to him, what God entrusted to him, what God said, here, I'm going to give you an open door, I'm going to give you an opportunity. That's how God's going to judge him, that's how he's going to judge us. The Bible says he's no respecter of persons, there's no partiality with God. God's not going to look at Billy Graham and say, man, you're going to sit right up here by me, man. You, you got millions of people saved right up here next to the throne. Not because of that. Now, he may, he may be near to the throne of God. I don't know how all that's going to work, but he may be there be, because of his heart. I don't know his heart. God knows his heart. He may be there because he was laboring for, for the Lord, because he was working, because he was steadfast in the call that God gave, and he wasn't doing it for filthy lucre. He wasn't doing it for prominence of man. He wasn't doing it for any of those things, but his, his motive was good. His motive was love. His motive was faith. His motive was hope. That's why he'll be rewarded bountifully. And the same thing for you and I. That labor is not in vain. And so tonight, encourage you. Be encouraged in your faith. Know that I'm praying for you. I'm not anybody prominent. I'm not anybody important. Other than the fact that God has put me in a place that he, it, that he created in his church, his body, along with other men who are in that leadership position. And we're praying for you. That should encourage you, just as it was meant to encourage those Thessalonian believers. And secondly, is more of a challenge uh, in that encouragement. And the question accompanied with that is this. It, ask yourself this question. Is my life defined by faith? Is my life defined by love? Is my life defined by hope? And is it being made manifest by my work for Christ, by my labor for His cause, and by my steadfastness in those things.
Is that, is that my life? Is my life being defined by faith, hope, and love? And, it, and are those, those elements, those characteristics that are driving me every day, is it being manifested by my relentless pursuit, my relentless, my faithful, steadfast, daily giving my all for the kingdom of God, for the mission that we're living this life on? Is that what my life looks like? If not, I pray the encouragement comes in the form of a challenge to make whatever change is necessary to see God's, God's greatest blessings poured out in your life. You know, we work for many things in this life. We, we work for retirement. We work for a paycheck. We work for entertainment. We work for hobbies. We work for stuff. We labor even to the point of exhaustion for many things. The things that entertain us, the things that fill our house, the things that get us around town. We labor even for our families. We stay committed. We stay steadfast in so many things, like our jobs. Why? Because they give us money. We stay steadfast and committed to the things that we love, the things that entertain us, that, that, that keep us happy. Why? Because they satisfy our flesh. And so we stay steadfast in those things. But what keeps us from doing those things for a higher purpose? For a greater cause beyond our selfishness. Is, there, is, is our life going to be defined when we stand before God? Is he going to look at us and say, man, you had so much and you were so selfish. That breaks my heart. I've shared this many times with people before. I shared this with a couple weeks ago with, with a, one of our um, ministry leaders. Just trying to encourage him, I said, I, I'm, I'm no, no one, again, prominent. But I've had someone ask me many times, you know, what, what keeps you driven? Not, not like in a boasting way, but like, how do you keep doing what you do? You know, what, what keeps you driven in your life? Why do you want to continue to serve the Lord? Why do you continue to preach the word of God? Why do you, why do you want to continue? What, what is driving you? And I said, well, I don't want to sound religious, but if I start straying away from that thought that Jesus Christ loved me and died for me, uh, then, then that commitment can start to wane. But one thing has always driven me from the time that I surrendered my life in ministry to this day, and it's what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I've shared this many times. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to stand there and look at my Lord, who was innocent, yet he, he was slain for my transgressions. And he, he gave up glory to come and live in this trash of a world and die in my place for the sins that I committed. He rose again, and he offered a gift to me that was free. I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to do anything for it. I had to just accept the gift and trust it, a free gift given to me. And he gave me life, eternal life. He took me from death and condemnation that was already on my head and he gave me eternal life where I never have to worry about one thing about an eternal hell. I never have to worry about paying for my sins, not one time. He wiped them all away, threw them in the sea of forgetfulness, forgetfulness and as far as the east is from the west. And so I owe him everything. I'm going to stand and look at him in his face one day and he's going to ask me, what did you do with what I gave you? And that brings a fear 
in my heart that helps drive me every day. And I'm by far perfect. I miss the mark way more, I promise you, way more than I hit it. But it drives me to be steadfast, to continue on, to continue trying, to continue striving, that when I do fail, that when I do miss the mark, that when I do mess up, that I get back up and I keep striving and I keep going, that I don't quit, that I don't look to the, to the side, I don't look to the right or the left, that I keep steady on, that I keep pursuing him, that I keep striving and laboring and toiling and sowing and watering and letting God do with what, what only God can do. That day that I stand before him drives me. But it's a hope as well. It's confident expectation. So I want to encourage you tonight by way of that challenge. Let's get to these roots in our lives. Let's make sure that, that we're all being driven by faith, hope, and love. And that they're being manifested by our works, our labor, and our steadfastness. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the challenge that you give uh, to me every time that I read this and go through this. Lord, thank you for uh, the reminder again tonight uh, about the day that we're going to stand before you. And Lord, I, I don't want to hear those words that, that you gave me so much and then a question. Why was, it, why was I so selfish? I want that, God. I don't want that for anybody in this church. I want us to be like the Thessalonian believers. They were just normal people that had been com converted just like us. There were prominent people. There were uh, people that, that were known in this city, but there was also just a great multitude of people that were normal, that were converted. And they faced the same persecution and struggles, and yet they remained steadfast. They, they remained faithful, and they worked, and their love for you drove them. And so, God, I, I pray that you would help all of us to, to make sure that that's where our lives are. That we're not so laboring in this world for this world's riches, that we're not so laboring in this world for this world's entertainment, that we have nothing left for you. That we, that we just try to scrape over the, the, the table scraps to you at the, rest of, at the end of our day the end of our weeks. We just give you just a little bit of what's left over of us and think it's okay. Lord, help us not to have that mindset, but help us to get up every single day of our life with the new mercy that you give us that morning and strive after you with everything we have, no matter if we're at work or at home or out in, uh, at a store or, or wherever. God, help us to always see our lives as living on mission for you and help us labor in that mission. Help us be steadfast. Lord, just... Do a work tonight in our hearts. I pray it's already been done and that we'll respond to to your word and to your Holy Spirit We'll praise you for it. Lord. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen